And now this time of year with the WNBA playoffs starting with all the news and things that are going on around the league and arguably the two biggest stories in the world of basketball, maybe the three biggest stories in the world of basketball right now, um, whatever order you want to put them in, are centered around the expert opinion of probably the best person to talk to on the podcast, to talk to in general about this, uh, Ann Myers-Drysdale, vice president of the Phoenix Suns and Mercury, and wears a lot of hats for them, so I'm probably just limiting you saying vice president, but I definitely appreciate you coming on and talking about all the happenings going on in the world of basketball. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for asking. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I'd be remiss to ask, and I'm sure the answer is very easy, but how excited are you right now? How are you doing in general with basketball right around the corner for the playoffs for the Mercury here tomorrow? Well, we're, we're really excited. There's no question. And L.A. is, is such a, a difficult foe. I mean, we've beaten them five times this season, but it's very difficult to go to a new season, basically, is what the playoffs are, and, uh, and try and win. So we know that we've got a target on our back, and uh, Candace Parker, who missed the last two games, is going to be ready to play against us. And, um, but we're ready for it. I think Sandy Brundell has done an excellent job preparing the team. And let's let's kind of dive into that a little bit right now, since um, since we brought up the playoffs there with uh, the Phoenix Mercury in this season. And so, as a person that has played the game, so your your opinion weighs a lot more than than someone else, in my opinion. What is the difference between the regular season and the playoffs in the context of hey, we beat you five times, but now we're starting a new season, and this is a best of three with a lot more on the line. You certainly raise the level of intensity and desire. Um, you've got to bring your best, uh, whether you're playing in the NBA Finals or the Super Bowl or, or the World Series or the WNBA Championships in the playoffs, you've got to raise it another level. So those shots that you might have missed uh, during the season, you've got to make them. 
uh, you know, it's like somebody going, you know, Joe Montana making the pass, and a guy's going to catch it, um, no matter how difficult the pass is, or guys come up with great defensive plays. And uh, so, I mean, you cannot take a playoff in the WNBA playoffs because uh, that's going to be the difference of uh, win or lose. When you look at the the regular season, it's probably too far one-sided to say the regular season doesn't matter when you start getting into the playoffs because it, it definitely does. And when I look at it uh, from an analytical standpoint, it probably matters more to the coaching staff in terms of putting together game plans more than it does maybe the players because going out there and executing in the playoffs, like you said, is a lot more pressure, a lot more fine-tuned. Is it more for the coaches with those five games to have all that film and to have all that knowledge of the opponent? Well, no. I mean, what do you play a season for in the first place? Let's just go straight to playoffs. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. You've got to play a season uh, to give everybody an opportunity uh, to get to the playoffs. And uh, certainly the season is important. And with the WNBA, with it being a short season compared to a lot of other seasons that we see on the professional level, it takes time for these players to develop chemistry, to understand what their coaches want to develop, uh, not just on the offensive end, but the defensive end. And You've got new players coming in, so you have to learn new roles and uh, accept different uh, positions that you might play. For example, Diana Trossi was our two and one last year, but um, basically has played one this year. So, uh, you know, led the league in assists and uh, certainly is a five-time scoring champion but has changed her game. And uh, so you've got to have that regular season to do Uh, work on those things and develop different skills. Uh, You look at somebody for us in Brittany Griner, uh, how her game has progressed in one season and with new coaches and uh, the demands as far as what they expected out of her compared to uh, different coaches with her coming in as a rookie. And uh, certainly the regular season for all teams, I think, is very important. What does that say about Diana Taurasi when you're the number two scorer of all time? You have a brand new head coach coming in where if she wanted to, she probably has the cachet to go, look, I get what you want me to do, but this is what I do best. No, she didn't do that. She she went out there and she scored when needed. She was a great facilitator and a great teammate. At this point in her career, what does that say about her that she can take a step back, do what the team needs, and then create this type of a season for this team? Well, it says, and it always has said, that she's one of the best to play the game. And she understands how to win a championship and, and the sacrifices it takes. And Diana Trossi has never been about Diana Trossi. She's always been about the team and making others better. And I think that that's what separates her a lot of times from other players is that she raises the level of play from her teammates. And she did a great job of that this year because you mentioned Brittany Griner and then those two, you know, if you want to call them the stars of the team, but sandwiched in between them are three star quality players in their own right with Penny Taylor, Dewana Bonner, and Candace Dupree. All three of them, I've joked and said this many times, if you go and throw them on a non-playoff team, they can be the best or second best player on almost any team in the league with their talent and skill level, but they were able to fill into a role. Dewana with the defense, Candace with the pick and roll and rebounding, and then Penny just kind of being that glue that does a little bit of everything. Like This is one of the more special teams in terms of looking at the overall talent and depth with your experience in the women's basketball, your experience over the years, how special is this team historically when you start, pardon me, when you start looking at this team from a historic standpoint? Well, Chris, really it is a, a pretty special team. And honestly, you know, we're trying to win a championship again. And uh, Minnesota's a defending champion. And you look at their starting five, and they're not too shabby. Yeah. And uh, so, but uh, we have three all-stars this year with uh, uh, Candace Dupree, Diana Trost, and Brittany Griner. Uh, Penny Taylor is an Olympian and uh, has been an all-star. Luana Bonner 
you can't say enough about how she has changed her game. She, you know, three times six player of the year, and uh, a couple years ago she was second in the league in scoring. Uh, this year she's kind of become the defensive stopper. No matter what position uh, Sandy Brundello puts her in, she is about defending the best player and uh, and can still put up points, can still rebound, even though stats-wise may not show up on the stat sheet. But uh, what she does out on the floor, you need her out there. Uh, Candace Dupree, absolutely right. She's just misconsistency. She uh, gets easy looks to the basket because of the execution of the offense. Uh, she's always around the basket. She's going to get rebounds for you. She's going to make shots and have a high percentage and field goal percentage uh, and does a, a good job on the defensive end also. And then you've got the three all-stars, as you said, Penny Taylor. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of players that as good as Penny Taylor and uh, not just her skill level, but just her smarts on the floor and understanding and, and uh, keeping things under control. And, uh, you know, she is just she's really fun to watch. And uh, the other two, you can't say enough about Diana Trotsky and Brittany Griner and Greiner led the league in block shots, but this year has made a change and is a lot more patient in her game and has kind of slowed things down and understanding what she needs to do, uh, not just on the offensive end, but, again, the defensive end and, and helping her teammates out. And Diana, you know, last year she averaged 20 points and over six assists and was second in assists behind Danielle Robinson last year and just missed leading scorer again behind Angel McCautry. But she's the only player in the history of the league to average 20 points and over six assists. And that's and something. She's the only player, and she's the only player in this league to have be a scoring champion and lead the league in assists. Yeah, and she and she seems she's always had that ability. Like if for people that have followed her career from college to to the pros, it, she's always had that ability to be someone that can go out there and get you twenty six and six and kind of fill up the box score, be that prototypical do everything guard. Um, but you know, just kind of depending on the team and the situation, they won two championships with her being a dominant elite scorer, and now they're you know working towards their third championship with her as the pseudo scorer, also facilitator, kind of taking a step back. It's it's interesting that you mentioned last year statistically she had a better season. The team had a much you know much more humble record, even though they got to the Western Conference Finals. This year, her stats are down a little bit, but people are praising her as an MVP candidate. Where last year, there wasn't that much talk of her being an MVP candidate. And yet, you know, she's—I think she's always in the talk of an MVP candidate. But you know, to get back to your team two question, is you look at the Mercury teams that won the championships. The difference was Cappy Pondexter, but we had Penny Taylor and Diana Trossi. But we didn't have. Uh, a player like a Dewana Bonner, what she can do with her length at six four, six five, and then you got the middle inside player with six eight, uh, with Griner. I mean, no team has ever had that. You can go back to whether it be the Detroit teams, the LA teams, the uh, Sacramento or Indiana, um, Minnesota, uh, the Houston teams. Houston never really had a strong center, but they had a great bench, and you had Jeanette Arcane coming off the bench. But Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops, Tina Thompson, that was their three-headed monster. But really, the, the Phoenix Mercury have a five-headed monster. I mean, it really is. Yeah, and, and, uh, and playing with greatness. That, and, it, and it has had the best record in the WNBA this year uh, in the 18-year history, even though there weren't as many games in those first years. But still, I mean, Houston really was the measuring stick of all, all teams, I think. You know, obviously four championships in a row, and uh, Cynthia Cooper was MVP of the finals every year. And uh, and then you look at what Cheryl Soups was able to do when she even when she sat out with injuries and her and her baby and stuff. But um, Tina Thompson, what she became, I mean, she's still the leading scorer in the league 
right now in the history of the game, and I'm, I don't think that'll last with Diana Trossi. But, um, you know, it just I, I think this is a team, and uh, the only way you can prove, though, its superiority is by winning a championship. And, and Houston is that team, as you mentioned. I like that comparison because the four championships, obviously the consistent greatness and just all those all-star caliber Hall of Fame players that they had. And the Mercury are kind of piece by piece, you know, re-signing Dewana to an extension a few years ago. This year they re-sign, um, you know, Diana Tarazi. They, they get, they're getting these players under contract for years to come. You know, some of them are a little bit maybe older. They're, they're in their prime slash end of their prime there with their careers. But keeping this group together and, Di- and Brittany Griner is almost like that refresher for this team where you have a lot of veterans that can go out there and do something. And then you have this rookie phenom that really does have a chance to be special and one of the best players in the history of the game to kind of create this potential dynasty for the next handful of years for the Mercury now. Yeah, and she's only going to get better. I mean, it's only the tip of the iceberg. And, and you look at Minnesota, I mean, honestly, I think a difference maker for them to win the, their first championship was Taj McWilliams-Franklin, and she was in her 40s. So the one thing about the WNBA players, I think you can play well into your 30s uh, rather than the NBA where a lot of guys, you know, people will say, well, they're done at 30 and so forth. But, um, you know, they've reached 30, 31, and it's, you're looking to trade them. You're looking to get rid of their contract. You're looking saying they're old. But in this league, in the WNBA, I don't think that that's true. I think you have a lot of women that can play 37, 38, and still be very productive. Yeah, and it's it's a less physically demanding game. And granted, you're playing overseas, but you you have less WNBA games, you less mileage on your knees there, less mileage on your body. And um, yeah, I mean, those Minnesota teams are, are the recent example of having you know five to six really good all-star caliber players like the Mercury kind of have right now and, and starting to put together a team that can win a championship. So speaking of championship, um, going back to that word specifically, Diana Taurasi said she won't say the C word. You're behind the scenes there with the Mercury and, and in the inside. Has she said the quote-unquote C word throughout the year this year or has she kept to that? No, no. Diana, that's the one thing about this team. that and I Obviously, I come from UCLA and, and Coach Wooden thinking, and uh, Coach Wooden never talked about winning. Uh, I know for myself as a player, I never went into a game thinking that I would lose, and that's why I was out on the court in the first place. And I feel that same way about this team. And Sandy Brundello and her coaching staff, they don't really talk about winning. They talk about preparation. They talk about, you know, who your opponent's going to be and, and knowing their strengths and uh, knowing what they're going to do as, as not only players but as a team, both ends of the floor. I mean, it's about preparation and doing the best that you can and executing. And, uh, and good things happen. And uh, I think Sandy Brundello is a, a coach that's pretty calm. And the fact that she doesn't talk about winning, she talks about, you know, what will be will be. And uh, if you look at the execution in our offense, and, and defensively we're the top teams in the defensive end. And uh, so it's not just about the offense and people talk about Phoenix. And actually at the end of the season last year with Russ Fennell in charge, um, we were a pretty good defensive team. And so we've got the pieces, and uh, Sandy Brundello has had the players able to respond to her. And uh, so I, I think, uh, again, do we want to win a championship? I mean, that's, that's the attitude you've got to come in, uh, not only as a team but as an organization. That we're one, We'd like to think that we're one of the top organizations. And we know there's very good organizations in this league with Seattle and Connecticut and Washington and Minnesota and, and New York and, I mean, everybody, San Antonio. But – in saying that, um, if you don't believe that is an organization from top to bottom, then you're just going to you know, float along at the bottom. 
Yeah, and organizational structure has been definitely a strong point of the Phoenix brand uh, over the past couple of years of kind of revamping the thought on what the front office needs to look like down to the coaching staff and the players. And in the past two years, when you speak to about the Phoenix Suns and you speak about the Phoenix Mercury, kind of like a top to bottom change and bringing in the right people. And we saw the results on the court with Phoenix last year. And now we're seeing the results on the court with the the Mercury now as well. Uh, the Suns and the Mercury respectively having, you know, in, in their own ways, very memorable, very uh, appreciative seasons, I would think, from fans and from the front office. Everybody around the organization have, have got to really like the future of both of those teams. With, um, with the Mercury this year, you mentioned the mentality and a lot of the intangibles of what the team needs to do to win a championship this year. What would you say would be the X factor for this team to we have the X factor as the crowd, but what would be the X factor for this team to be able to raise another banner and get to that pinnacle again? Well, certainly, obviously, our starting five has to play at their their highest peak, I think. And uh, but our bench, I think, our bench has to be productive and uh, in spots where they come off and uh, and help, whether it be uh, Aaron Phillips who led the league in three point shooting. Uh, Shay Murphy with her athleticism, Misty Bass, I mean, her toughness inside, and both Aaron and Misty have been to the playoffs, and I think that that's a key, too, to have experience with players that understand what it takes, you know, to play at a different level being in the playoffs. And uh, certainly Misty and Aaron were with Connecticut when they got beat a couple years ago by Indiana on a last-second shot. And, uh, you know, it's uh, so they've got a little bit of that hurt in them, even though – I should say Aaron Phillips was with Indiana. Uh, she wasn't with Connecticut. Misty Bass was with Connecticut. But, um, you know, they both understand what it means to be in the playoffs. And uh, But I, I think a lot of it for us is, is going to be our bench. And that bench, when you mentioned that, I talked to Misty Bass at the beginning of the season, and, and she kind of gave me a little bit of insight on the way the team was built and the way that they were organizing things structurally with the team. And she just kept mentioning the San Antonio Spurs, that – this team wanted to build a deep team that was quality across the board versus having five great starters, and then we'll see what happens when the bench comes in. So is that kind of the logic, you know, going inside baseball with the way you guys are putting the team together, of not just saying the San Antonio Spurs model, but just having that quality depth from top to bottom and having players that are ready to be the next man up? Well, I think that's a question you have to ask Sandy Brondello, but I'd like to think that when I came in as general manager that we felt the same way uh, in 2007. And uh, so, yeah, we felt that we had built a quality team and uh, Paul Westhead was at the helm. And, um, you know, we had also built a style of play that a lot of teams didn't know and, and hadn't played. And now here it is a few, you know, seven, eight years later, and a lot of teams, that's what they're doing. They're, they're playing uh, more of a running game. And in 2009, you know, we won a championship. Uh, the thing is, too, a lot of it has to do with injuries. You know, certainly you have to have a team that's healthy, and uh, certain players, you know, if, if uh, you're injured going in, that's going to be tough, especially with key players. And uh, you'd like to think that uh, the eight teams that are playing in the playoffs right now, that they all have everybody fresh and uh, ready to go and, and uh, at the top of their game. But uh, certainly I, I would like to think that Phoenix has always been a, a, an organization that has prided itself uh, not just with its fans and how they respond to their their team, but uh, the coaches and players that have been in this organization, uh, they want to build um, from top to bottom a, a, a program and uh, that's going to not only win championships, but that is well-respected. And I can understand Misty coming in and, and saying that, certainly Sandy Rondello coming from San Antonio. and But she's been in Miami with Pat Riley and, uh, you know, and other coaches and uh, certainly is 
it was in Detroit and uh, and not just San Antonio, and then went to L.A. and was in L.A. and uh, with Lisa Leslie and so forth. And so Sandy's been around, not just WNBA coaches, but her husband Olaf Lang and uh, being in San Antonio with Dan Hughes, and certainly Pop is there, yes. Uh, I can see the rub off on San Antonio, but she's had a lot of influences uh, in her coaching career. Yeah, and she seems like she sponged up a lot of that experience, which is what a lot of, you know, good young coaches need to do when they want to eventually be, you know, very good coaches when they're doing it on their own there. And she had a lot of uh, experience there. You mentioned the injury, so got to knock on wood a little bit with that. With I mean, because a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix, I mean, not not to be too cute with it, but I mean, they they got a lot of that injury stuff, hopefully out of their system the past couple of years, because, you know, being around the organization, you know it, I know it, everyone that's watched the game, you know, a lot of unfortunate things that have happened that kind of derailed some of the seasons over the past two to three years. And uh, now, you know, fully healthy going into the playoffs and and hopefully they're able to keep that going. Um, I do want to talk about what before letting you go. We talk about the Mercury, and that's the main thing out here in Phoenix, but there's been a lot of talk with Becky Hammond, and she we mentioned San Antonio there, so I want to bring her up and talk about that situation. You were, along with a lot of other names, you're going to create a Mount Rushmore of people that have trailblazed for their group of people, for their sport, for whatever you want to call it. You're going to be on there with a lot of other really important faces in the history of sports. You trailblazed for the women's basketball, and now Becky Hammond's taking a step into being a coach with the San Antonio Spurs a lot of it has to do with the right person and the right situation. Do you feel that Becky in San Antonio, this is the right person and the right situation to take this move as a coach in the NBA? Well, give credit to the San Antonio organization. Um, you know, it comes from them. And it, 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 to me, it's not new. I mean, she was with the team last year. Yeah. She was working with the team last year. And because the media, quote, didn't write about it, now it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, they actually did sign her to a contract. And, uh, but, you know, Lisa Boyer uh, did it with Cleveland. And the circumstances were that the Cleveland Rockers were owned by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so she was in town. And uh, certainly you develop a relationship with the coaches and uh, the organization itself. Uh, and John Lucas saw that in Lisa Boyer. Uh, so she was a part-time assistant with the uh, Cavaliers. And, uh, and that was huge, but wasn't talked about a lot. And uh, I know Nancy Lieberman coached the D-League and uh, with, with Dallas. And uh, so... You know, we have uh, Bernadette, I, I know Bernadette, I can't think of her last name, who was an assistant coach with Rick Pitino at Kentucky. Um, I know that there's been a couple, uh, is it Aaron McElhaney who played at, um, uh, not Purdue, but Vanderbilt. She was the first woman to coach, I think, in the USBLD or whatever, and uh, there's been another woman. And so uh, I, I can't think of the name. She uh, announces for Charlotte on the sidelines. And uh, so uh, she also coached, and I can't think of her name offhand, but so there have been women that have been out there, and uh, um, but the fact, obviously, it's the NBA. It's huge. It's big. It's it's uh, the stage, and uh, uh, I think the fact that Becky has been in the game her whole life. I've called her a lifer. She understands the game. She knows the game. Uh, certainly, the coaches with the Spurs know that too. And in anything in life, it's about relationships. And uh, if you get along with people, and if you respect people, uh, you want to work with that person. And certainly the coaches and the players in the organization itself with the San Antonio Spurs, uh, they know Becky Hammond, and they know what they can give them on the bench. And, uh, and I think that that's a positive. Uh, Becky's, this is not her first, you know, uh, rodeo. I mean, she dealt with the media when she played for the, the Russians in the Olympics, and, uh, and there was a huge backlash on that. And uh, 
but Becky has always stayed positive and has always uh, looked on the bright side and is always another player that makes others better. And it's never been about Becky Hammond. And uh, she's one of those, don't tell me I can't do it because I'll prove you wrong. And uh, because in order to prove you wrong, she's just doing what she loves. And somebody's given her an opportunity. And uh, I give a lot of credit to the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they've they've done a lot of things. And you mentioned Cleveland as well. And they've done some things with their coaching staff this year with David Black coming over from Europe. And you talk about Becky Hammond coming on with uh, with the San Antonio Spurs. And you have a lot of situations. And a lot of times, you know, it's, it is about the media and whether they cover it or not. Because you were scouting for the Phoenix Suns back with Mike D'Antoni when he was coaching the team. That necessarily wasn't front page ESPN headlines, but you were back there doing something. And if it wanted to be a front page headline, I guess, you know, it could have been if people wanted to go there with it. But, you know, with Becky, it it seems like you're saying there that she is, you know, one of not maybe not the first person that's doing it, but she is kind of the right person for this situation. She's built for it right. with that Russian stuff as well, as you mentioned before, playing for that national team. And I, I do remember that backlash and it, it wasn't very pretty for her, but she kind of stood up to it and took it all in the chin and was very positive about it and, and went out there and did what she wanted to do. So Popovich got a gem there and Diana Taurasi is someone that comes to mind when you see something like that happen with Becky Hammond and the first thought in my mind goes what is it's not going to happen anytime soon but what is Diana Taurasi's endgame can you see her being someone whether it's going into the announcing the coaching you know being behind the scenes maybe is she someone that's one of those lifers that'll be around the game WNBA NBA depending on where she wants to go well and and that's a good question I mean I can't answer that right now because there's probably quite a few uh, players in the WNBA that could go on to coach and and not just men but women too and look at katie smith she's gone on to the bench and uh but you know they used to talk about pat summit and tara vanderveer coaching the men's teams they were that good of coaches that they could coach the men well you know what when you can coach the game you coach the game and uh the biggest thing for them is they wanted to make a difference in young women's lives and uh, certainly college is a lot different than the pros and uh the opportunity for betsy is, is for becky is is huge and uh there's no question that anybody in the NBA knows Diana Trossi and knows that she understands the game. And uh, Diana, if that's what she wants to do, um, you look at somebody like Carol Lawson, who has a, a you know, uh, being a point guard and understanding the game uh, makes a big difference too. I think you see more guards, point guards that uh, read defenses and, and set up the offenses. Those are the ones that kind of step up and uh, seem to be the head coaches at some point in their careers. And, uh, course i don't think pop was a, a point guard but he's <laughs> done a pretty good job i would say but um you know i down the road if that's what diana uh, wants to do um i think she could do virtually anything when when you were in these shoes more or less um back when you were playing the game and, and you were signed over with indiana and then you did a lot of the broadcasting you, you did a lot of firsts as well for for women in the game of basketball was there a lot of negative backlash because it I think a big part of it as well is society being ready for it and it being one of those progressive eras. And when you were going through it, it was very much one of those progressive eras where, you know, things were changing all around the world. And in 2014, it's very much a progressive era where things are changing again. Is it a lot of it about the era, the time, it kind of being right? And and what was that backlash like for you back then? So it's been 35 years, almost 35 years. And I'm hearing things today that I heard 35 years ago. Uh, from different guys on the radio and so forth. Uh, things that they've said about Monet Davis, uh, the gal from Philadelphia that's pitching and playing in Little League. Um, and some of these guys on the radio, talk radio, and, and you have to remember that when I tried out with Pacers back in 79, it was the very first year of ESPN. 
So you look at ESPN and what it has done today in the world, not just here in the United States, but what it has, it's changed sports throughout the world and how people think and how much is on TV and none of that existed. We didn't have all the, um, certainly we didn't have the computer and we didn't have tweeting and the internet and, and Facebook and all this other stuff. Uh, uh, we had TV and we had the newspaper and we certainly had a, Sports Illustrated was huge, which Sports Illustrated is not quite as big a magazine as it was in the past. And uh, and now you've got all these different radio people and TV people and media people. And, I mean, when I was growing up, they didn't have majors in colleges that were sports journalism, you know. It just has – the society has changed so much and, and the things that are said. So uh, what I went through, uh, absolutely there were negative things said. Uh, I chose not to look at the newspaper. I chose not to – talk to people that were negative about me uh and i think that that's true today and uh i think somebody like becky you just hey you you, you do the positive you do what you can do and uh, not what people are going to put you down for why would you um but because there's so much more media today and social media uh, i think it makes it really difficult for sometimes uh, a lot of the young kids they get caught up in what people are saying why should i care what somebody that is 3,000 miles away and that has never really followed sports, but they see that it's a woman involved with men's sports, and they're going to say something negative, why would I listen to that person? But people do. Yeah, and, I, and that goes right back to the organization, to Greg Popovich, and I think that they'll do a good job. It's it, it, In 2014, it's way too hard to shield your eyes and not see everything because of just the exposure, like you said, but you know, being with that organization, Becky just being who she is and, and kind of covering the game and being able to talk yeah. to her, I think that yeah, it's... And the players, yeah, and you know, Chris, too, the players respect Becky. Yeah. They all know her, so any fans sitting out there, even if they're going to be negative, they respect Tim Duncan, they respect Tony Parker, they see that they're talking to Becky and Becky's giving them tips or whatever and they're listening. You know, somebody's going to respect that. And that's probably one of the biggest parts of it is just the respect factor. And, and again, going back to it, not saying that Becky is the only one for it, but just maybe kind of that right person to bridge the gap with what she's been through, her personality, her skill level, her, as you call her, a lifer, someone that just knows the game. It just it kind of it is all connects. It comes together and, and hopefully just creates more opportunities. I mean, with what you've done in broadcast journalism, you mentioned ESPN. It's it's a very male dominated genre with with broadcasting of sports games. But some of the best broadcasters, some of the smartest people out there are actually the women on the microphone. And that you've opened up opportunities for others. And, and Becky, hopefully down the line, we're talking in. 30 years and we're, we're seeing numerous you know nba assistant coaches or head coaches when we're ready for that that are you know women or from different backgrounds that allow this progression to continue because if you know the game you know the game like you said and it just comes down to respecting exactly i agree with you <laughs> all right well the playoffs are getting started tomorrow and, and i know you're with the team so i don't want to you know go into the prediction stuff or make you uh, put you on the spot with that but definitely excited and i'll be at the arena for uh, for the sparks game on friday and i'll look forward to uh to the playoffs kicking off there's some games on today but uh you know the mercury starts tomorrow which is the kind of the season for us i guess well let's say hi to each other there you go i'll, I'll see you at the arena and thanks for jumping on again thanks chris take care and that was the great Ann Myers-Drysdale, um, as mentioned in the intro, vice president of Phoenix Mercury, of the Phoenix Suns, and just a just long, long, long career. If you read her biography, if you read her uh, credentials, essentially, and go through that resume, just, again, Mount Rushmore of change and things going on in the world of sports. She's definitely going to be on there with what she was able to do. And Becky Hammond, as I mentioned before, I'd, I don't say that just to say it. Hopefully we're talking about 
more assistant coaches, maybe head coaches down the line. Um, it, it's all about when we're ready for it and when people are going to respect it. And I think Becky Hammond's got that. And we'll, we'll see more of that as time goes on. There's a lot of bright, bright minds in the game of basketball that don't look like the cookie cutters that we're used to. So I uh, appreciate the listens. You know, great interview there with Ann. I appreciate the time. And uh, again, the Mercury start the playoffs tomorrow. Other games are tipping off tonight if you're if you're watching those. And we'll be back next week with a edition of the BS of the Suns podcast here, talking Phoenix Suns getting into training camp. This is only yours.